0: Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 21, verse 33, and continuing to chapter 22, verse 1. When a man uncovers a pit or digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit must give compensation. He must pay to its owner, but the dead animal will become his. When a man's ox injures his neighbor's ox and it dies, they must sell the live ox and divide its proceeds. They must also divide the dead animal. If, however, it is known that the ox was in the habit of goring, yet its owner has not restrained it, he must compensate fully ox for ox, the dead animal will become his. When a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox. Or four sheep for the sheep. The word of the Lord. Thanks, thank you, Today's psalm is Psalm 32. We will read responsively by whole verse. Blessed is the one whose unrighteousness is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one. For while I held my tongue, my bones wasted away. I ceased not from groaning all the day long. Your hand was bent upon me
1: day, day, and night, and I was dried up and withered as in the drought of summer.
0: Then I acknowledged my sin unto you, and I did not hide my iniquity.
1: I said, I will confess my sins unto you, Lord, and so you.
0: For this reason, shall all the godly make their prayers unto you at a time when you may be found. When the great flood waters rise, they shall not reach them.
1: You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall encompass me with songs of deliverance.
0: I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, and I will guide you with my eye.
1: Do not be like a horse in evil, which have no. Must be held and bride, not
0: Great troubles remain for the ungodly, but mercy embraces those who trust in the Lord.
1: Be glad O the righteous, and rejoice in the Lord, and be joyful all your true heart.
0: Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit.
1: As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever
0: shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him.
1: Chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Will you please stand for the reading of the Gospel? Church, this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking out to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried, and he came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. You may have noticed as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke that we have leaped ahead a couple chapters. Last week we were in chapter 13. Now we're in chapter 19. And part of that is because a lot of chapters 14 through 18 are parables. And they didn't necessarily happen in the chronological order that they are in the book. And we are in the process, especially during the season of Lent, we're in the process of walking with Jesus to Jerusalem. And so what we've done is we've skipped over some of the parables, and we'll come back to those after Easter. So since Luke chapter 9, we have been on this this walk with Jesus to Jerusalem. And in Luke 9, it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And so the rest of Luke is this slow progression that Jesus and his disciples make to Jerusalem, which also means that, they, that Jesus is making this slow progression to the cross. But even in the midst of that journey of, of self-denial, this journey toward suffering and death, there are, there are moments of real gospel joy in this journey. So we are in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible. Every week in our liturgy, um, after the sermon, after the creed, after the prayers, and before we come to to meet with Jesus at the table of the Lord's Supper, every week we confess our sins to God. And then every week the the, the priest, standing in as a representative of, of Christ's church, will stand up and proclaim absolution. He will proclaim that Christ has already bled and died for those sins that you've just confessed. And we always pray in that that prayer, we always pray that the Lord would not only grant us forgiveness, which we know that he has promised to do, but that he would also grant us true repentance, which means a a really kind of hard reckoning with our actions. Um, In in the language of Alcoholics Anonymous, they call it taking a fearless moral inventory. And that's kind of what we are praying that God will grant us, that the, the courage To take an unflinching look at our actions. But then there's also another phrase in that prayer. It says, we we pray that God would grant us amendment of life, which is kind of a clunky phrase, but it means that we are praying that God would continue to mold us and to shape us into who he wants us to be, that we would, now having confessed these sins, that we would take whatever active steps we can to, to actually change our actions, to change our behavior. That we would come to love more the things that he wants for us. And that we would come to love our sin less. And, and, and this part, this is key. Part of that amendment of life that we are praying for is sometimes making an earthly restitution for the things that we have done wrong. It's not as a way of, of, of obtaining heavenly forgiveness, this earthly restitution. But because we know that we have been forgiven. Because out of that forgiveness, as a response to that forgiveness, we sometimes seek to make restitution to the people that we have wronged. And that's exactly what we're talking about here today. Jesus entered Jericho as he was on his way to Jerusalem. And this is the last stop, because next week is the triumphal entry. So this is the last stop. Jericho is a short distance from Jerusalem. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And behold, he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. This is a story that only shows up in the Gospel of Luke. You know, I I say all the time, any story that shows up in like two or three or four of the the Gospels, you know that we are probably going to focus a whole Sunday on that. This one is only in Luke. It doesn't mean that it's any less valuable, but it is interesting. And I I said at the beginning of of our time in Luke together that that Luke, we know for a fact that Luke was not an original eyewitness of, of these events, kind of like Matthew was or like John was. But we also know that Luke, who was a Greek and who met up with the Apostle Paul, we know that he eventually traveled back to Jerusalem and to Israel. And we know because he tells us that he actually used sources for his gospel. And what the the, the common understanding for that is that he actually went around Israel and he had interviews with people because he wanted to hear all of the stories that he could about Jesus. And so the fact that this only shows up in Luke, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, but my bet is that one of the people that he spoke to when he was journeying around Israel was this guy Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Okay, so, I was as i was preparing this week i I, i've been singing that kids song over and over in my head and i was a little bit worried because i was afraid that it wasn't a song that kids knew anymore and i was afraid that like you know if i mentioned it that like everyone under like 30 or 35 in here would just be staring blankly at me but i found out that definitively no kids still sing it to this day and it's a cute little song and it's great but it ends right before the really important part of the story because it's Zacchaeus goes up in the tree and Jesus says, You come down because I'm going to your house today. End of song. But the most important part of the story is what Zacchaeus does in response and then what Jesus says about him. So, short little guy and a chief tax collector. That means, okay, to refresh your memory, the tax collectors were Jews who were working for the Roman occupying government and they were collecting taxes from their brothers and sisters from their fellow countrymen and they were giving it to the Romans. But the deal was for tax collectors that they could pretty much charge people whatever they thought they could get away with. And then the amount that they were supposed to give to Rome, they would give to Rome and they'd get to keep whatever else they could. So it was basically just a skimming operation and it was a really good way to get rich. So this guy Zacchaeus, probably, although he might have been respected or maybe feared, was also no doubt hated. And yet he wants to see Jesus. I mean, Jesus at this point was famous in the area. He's traveling around with these disciples and followers, and so Zacchaeus wants to see him. But he can't, because he's short. So he finds a sycamore tree, and sycamore trees are these big, squat, heavy trees. Like, and it's, it's not like he climbed this little thin wisp of a tree. Like He climbed up into, into a tree that could definitely support the weight of a man. But they're also very thick. And so Zacchaeus was probably hidden up in this tree. He's out of the way. He's still getting to kind of live his best life, waiting to see Jesus. And Jesus walks by and looks up in the tree and calls him by name. I would think that for Zacchaeus, this has to be terrifying. Jesus is passing by. Zacchaeus wants to see him. And all of a sudden, this Jesus is calling to him, naming him. He says, come down here. This this can't be good. This can't be good if, if for no other reason than one of Jesus' disciples was a zealot. And that just doesn't mean that he was, like, enthusiastic. That was a name of a, of a group of revolutionaries that wanted to overthrow the Roman occupiers and kick them out. They hated the Romans, and they really hated anyone who worked with the Romans. And so at least one of Jesus' 12 closest guys was a guy named Simon the Zealot. And maybe More. And so Zacchaeus might have been thinking, geez, what's going to happen? I'm I'm getting called out by Jesus. Like, maybe Jesus was going to tell everyone what this guy was. Maybe Jesus was going to shame him or expose him. Maybe he was going to demand that he repent of his wicked ways. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus shows up and he says, I'm here. I'm coming to your house. I want to eat with you. I want to... Eating with somebody was, was more than just grabbing a sandwich. If you're going to come to someone's house for dinner, you're going to spend the evening. with. You. So Jesus is saying, I am here. I'm coming to where you are. I want to eat with you. I want to I know you. I want to fellowship with you. Zacchaeus, you come down. I am going to your house today. I am going to interrupt your life. And so that's where, <clears throat> that's where the kids' song ends. But we miss Zacchaeus' reaction. Because the whole thing would be Jesus saying, I am here. I am coming to your house. I want to eat with you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to know you. I am going to interrupt your life. And he's saying, I'm going to make myself unavoidable to you. And your life is going to dramatically change. Now, Zacchaeus's reaction could have been... Zacchaeus' reaction could have been one of resistance, of bitterness, but it was joy. It was pure, unadulterated joy. And the people saw it, and they were the ones who were angry and bitter. They were grumbling. They were grumbling that this, this guy, this fun-sized thief, is the one that, this, that, that the teacher, that this master, this, this prophet is going to go. He's going to go with this guy, the one who rips us all off and sends our money to the Romans. And he, he's the one that Jesus says, oh, I just have to come to your house. And so again, Jesus is, is messing with the established norms of the society. He's messing with, with religious tradition and with, with the kind of superficial, showy religion of the Pharisees. It would have been expected that this distinguished traveling rabbi, if he had come to a new town, would find the best people in town. Would stay at the house of the the greatest teachers, the most respected Pharisees. But no, Jesus calls out the guy who probably was the biggest scumbag in town. And he says in front of everyone, you, you, Zacchaeus, you're the one that I'm going to eat with tonight. But Zacchaeus' reaction is not, shame It's not embarrassment. It is pure, unadulterated joy. And the response that he gives is then born out of that same joy. For some people, this this amendment of life that I'm talking about, for some people it comes slowly after they meet Jesus. Sometimes when, when when Jesus gets you, sometimes you still have those old areas of your previous life our old ways, the, the, the things that we are supposed to, that we are commanded to die to when we are made alive in Christ, we all still have those things that we just refuse to give up. And then for other people, when they come to meet Jesus, it is like instant transformation. I, I know people who, whose lives would have, were a disaster, and they met Jesus, and it was like instant 180 transformation, new life. And this wasn't just hearing about Jesus, as you and I do. This was literally hearing from Jesus, what Zacchaeus was doing. And so I understand his reaction, but I think it's important to know that not everybody has this immediate life transformation. But boy, isn't that the goal? Many people that Jesus talked to just ignored him. I mean, they just didn't want to hear what he had to say. Many of them didn't like what he had to say, and they would get angry, and they would walk away. But Zacchaeus, when when the incarnate Lord of glory comes and calls him by name and and says, I am coming with you. Jesus comes by. He looks up at the worst guy in town. He says, hey, what's for dinner tonight? And Zacchaeus has an immediate amendment of life that we pray for ourselves every single week. And the way that he does it is with, with reparation, with restitution, with seeking to take what he has and give it away. The bad things that I've done. Now that I've met Christ, how am I supposed to live differently? Now that I've met Christ, now that I'm I'm in now, now that I've put my vertical relationship with God right, in, in what small but tangible ways can I affect the horizontal relationships that I have with other people? And the way that he does it, and this is interesting, the way that he does it is by following the exact pattern that God laid out in the Old Testament. He does it by following the Mosaic Law. You may have noticed as we're going through Luke that a lot of our Old Testament reading hasn't been prophecy. A lot of our Old Testament reading hasn't been Psalms. A lot of our Old Testament reading has been portions of the Mosaic Law. And this is not by accident. Because... Jesus talked about the law more than anybody else in the New Testament. Jesus was constantly speaking about the law, but he was talking about the right way to look at it and the wrong way to look at it. And so this idea that Zacchaeus picks up on of of restitution and reparation is very, very biblical. So the law, the Mosaic Covenant, the, the, the way of living that God laid out in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy... The law says that if you steal something from someone and you're caught, you have to make restitution. And the pattern for restitution is something that I might call serious but not impossible. We heard it in the the last verse from our Old Testament reading that Liz read. When a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. So serious but not impossible. And and you have to assume that's when someone is caught. Zacchaeus hasn't been caught. I mean, he's caught in the sense that, that everyone knew what he was doing, but he hasn't been called out and demanded to repent. This isn't a court, this is Jesus underneath a sycamore tree. So Zacchaeus is actually confessing, he's telling on himself. He's so thrilled to be in the presence of Jesus that he just joyfully declares that he's going to make this biblical restitution with anyone he's ever stolen from. It's like he became a living embodiment of what we heard in Philippians 3, that the apostle Paul was saying. Paul said that whatever gain I had, that is, whatever I had accumulated for myself in this world, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake, Christ's sake. I have suffered the loss of everything, and I count it all as rubbish in order that I may gain more of Christ. And, and I have to say, that, that word rubbish there, it's, it's skoubalon in Greek. Rubbish is a really polite translation of that word. Um, excrement gets a lot closer to it. So basically, Paul is saying, everything that I have, everything that I was, everything I had made of myself, my name, my stuff, my reputation, all of it is complete crap in comparison to who Jesus is. So Zacchaeus doesn't mind taking out the trash, getting rid of the rubbish of his old life. All the things that we put our time into, all the things that we do in order to to satisfy ourselves, to fill up that God-shaped hole in our hearts with something other than Christ, it truly is all junk. The apostle Paul had fame and success. Now maybe he wasn't rich like Zacchaeus was, but you have to assume that he had some kind of financial security that came along with being an incredibly well-respected, well-educated, well-traveled Pharisee. And God, when he met Paul, took all that away from him, actively, just took it away from him. So Paul is left with nothing. But as Paul was confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, he realized that all that other stuff was just junk anyway. And he didn't mind being rid of it in order to fill his life with more of Jesus. And that's Zacchaeus. That's what Zacchaeus is doing. In verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus says, look here, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And and Lord, if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus, he he gets it. He gets it in the same way that Paul gets it. Now, the only biographical details about Zacchaeus that we know are that he was short and rich. That's it. Now, the short thing he probably didn't have a lot of control over, but it seems like his defining characteristic of his behavior is that he liked money, that he was rich. He liked money. He liked making more money. But now, when confronted with the reality of King Jesus, he realizes that all his gain, he can count (coughs) as loss. He can just give it away all the ways that he was trying to satisfy his own desires are just garbage. They're not worth anything. It's better, in fact, to be rid of them in order to have more of Jesus. Half my money, I'll give it to the poor. Anything I've stolen, I'll follow the biblical example that that God gave, and I'll pay back four times as much. And he does it joyfully and gladly. Because to me, he says, to me, it's all just crap. Now that I've met Jesus, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I am, "I am here, and I want to be with you. I'm going to eat with you, I'm going to know you, I'm going to fellowship with you. I'm going to interrupt your life. I'm going to make myself unmistakable and unavoidable to you, and everything about you is going to change." And Zacchaeus just leans right into that. Then Jesus says, in verse nine, he says, "Today salvation has come to this house because he too, he's saying about Zacchaeus, he too is a son of Abraham. That is, he's part of God's true covenant family. And then Jesus says that for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Today, salvation has come come to this house. Not because of what Zacchaeus said he was going to do, right? This is not earning your way into God's favor. the the joy and the submission to Christ comes first. Faith comes first. Entering into Christ's kingdom and his family comes first. That's the salvation. Amendment of life comes second, but it does happen. And so that's that's the visible part. That's the part that anyone can see. When you have life transformation because you have met with Jesus, that's the witness. That's the part that other people can look at. The proof that Zacchaeus had truly gotten. So it's It's not penance. It's not, I'm going to do this so that God will forgive me. It's, I've been forgiven, and so now I get to do this. You are forgiven. You are made clean. You are made whole. You, if you are a Christian, you, just like Zacchaeus, have been called out by Jesus. You've been named by him. He has invited himself into your home, to your table. He has invited himself to know you and to be part of your life. And so now, given that, may we all be like Zacchaeus, so overjoyed to start this new life that he can't wait to get rid of all the trappings of his old life. Now, the name Zacchaeus is actually a bit of an irony. The name Zacchaeus means the righteous one. And so the little that we know of him before climbing up that tree is that he, in fact, was very, very unrighteous. He extorted money from his countrymen, he skimmed off their taxes, and he stole all just to make himself richer. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of the collect of the day that we prayed today. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. And certainly Zacchaeus had an unruly will and and negative affections. Grant to your people grace to love what you command and to desire what you promise. That sounds like Zacchaeus's reaction to Jesus. And so the amendment of life that he has instantly, it actually does continue. Now, the Bible itself is silent on what the future of Zacchaeus is. This is the one and only time he's ever mentioned. But from church history, from, from the writings of the early church fathers, we actually know a little bit more. Now, These writings are not inspired like the Bible was. I wanna be clear on that. But there was a guy, uh, early church father named Clement of Alexandria. He lived from about the year 150 to 210, I think. So he was like the, the second or third generation after the apostles. And he was a bishop. And he was a great leading theologian and teacher of his day. And he, in one of his letters, he wrote that Zacchaeus, who probably lived until about the year 80 or 90, So he hadn't been dead for that long. So Clement wrote that Zacchaeus had actually continued in this completely transformed life that he had. He continued to faithfully follow Christ. And he continued to be a part of the church that was birthed after Christ's resurrection. And eventually Zacchaeus, Clement of Alexandria tells us, Zacchaeus was actually installed as the first bishop in a town called Caesarea Maritima, which is a a resort town on the northern coast of Israel. And so he not only continued in his personal journey with Jesus, but he actually continued serving the church in whatever ways he could, eventually rising to the servant level of bishop. His life completely changed that day, in every way. And that's what Jesus is saying to to each and every one of us. He is inviting us into this life transformation, Now, we can't do it all ourselves. Like, there's nothing in us that can become the person that God wants us to be fully. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But we know throughout all of Scripture that we are called to do everything that we can to partner in that work of the Holy Spirit. We are called to do everything that we can to actively seek ways that we can have this transformed life, that we can live out being part of a resurrection family and a new covenant people. Jesus says to each of us, he says, I am here. I am with you. I want to know you. I want to fellowship with you. And I'm here, and I'm unavoidable, and I'm unmistakable. He says, I'm going to interrupt your life. Nothing is going to be the same after. That's the encounter that each of us gets to have with King Jesus, like Zacchaeus. Let me pray for us. God, would you use this story of Zacchaeus to increase our, our joy in you, to increase our love of you, to increase... God, we know that you came to seek and save the lost, people that would have been seen as unredeemable, either because they were the outcasts of society or because their actions and their behaviors were so gross that people just couldn't imagine that you would ever choose Thank you for that, Lord. Would you use this story in our lives as well, that we, can, that we can get excited about the changes that you are doing in us every day? Would you encourage us to find ways that we can die to our old self, so that we can, so that we can clear out the, the garbage in our lives, so that we can get more and more and more of you? In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.